You're listening to Don't Waste Water. We had a very clear business plan when we started, though, and that was to develop a series of projects where we have addressed and as best we can remove many of the risks that get in the way of actually successfully taking a project from conception into hopefully delivering a successful commercial enterprise. Hello, bonjour, and welcome to the Don't Twist Weather podcast. I wouldn't say one process is better than the other. The project drives the process. There are a number of projects where reagents may be too costly. No process is universal. There's no silver bullet. I'm your host, Antoine Valter, and in today's episode, I'm delighted to welcome Robert Mintak as my guest. DLE is the heart of the process, the selective extraction, but what's overlooked by analysts and commentators is it has to be a completely integrated process. There's a number of different ways to get lithium out of brine. You need to find a way that do it with the highest efficiencies and in the conditions of the chemistry that you're working with, but you're doing it 24 hours a day. Every minute of every hour of the day at commercial scale, thousands of gallons per minute need to come into your facility and it needs to operate in a way that at two o'clock in the morning, an operator is going to make sure that the plant is running and that if there is an issue that it's addressable. Robert is the CEO of Standard Lithium. It is the best location in North America to build a lithium chemicals business. It's an area where you have a massive lithium resource, tier one lithium brine resource. You have the inputs required to run a lithium brine business or a lithium chemical business, secure low cost power. Water is critical on every project. If you chose a project in an area that's under extreme drought and water stress conditions, you may have chosen the wrong project to look at regardless of the lithium concentrations or how favorable the mining jurisdiction is. So we're in an area that's not underwater stress. You have to be a good steward with water, but this area isn't underwater stress. We're in an area with a social license. Very few lithium projects in the United States can point to having support from their local communities. And you're geographically in the center of the country and with access to your markets, either domestically within a day's drive or export through the Gulf of Mexico. So it's the absolute best place to build a lithium chemicals business. Standard Lithium coins itself America's 21st century lithium company. And indeed, they shall become the first lithium developer in the world to produce direct extracted lithium at a commercial scale in El Dorado. What's not to love about direct lithium extraction or DLE? We've seen in the first two episodes of this series how the world needs to scale from about half a million of yearly lithium carbonate equivalents to two, three, or maybe even five million by 2030. And sure, you can probably extract more spodumene in hard rock mines. You can probably also evaporate more lithium-rich brines in the South American lithium triangle. But will that be enough? For many, that's still an open question and not the only one. How and where do you refine that lithium? Who does it? Where and how do you ship it around? And what if the ones with lithium don't want to sell to the ones with battery gigafactories? To answer many of these questions and more, direct lithium extraction comes in pretty handy. Indeed, with DLE and the extended CRC, if you don't know that acronym, you shall probably dive back into the first episode of this series with Ben Sparrow. You have an all-in-one approach that turns low-concentration brines into battery-grade lithium carbonate or hydroxide. Black oil fields can get a second life as a source of white oil. Geothermal projects can now kill two birds with one stone, leveraging the heat and the lithium content. And existing brine operations, like the one Robert will talk about in a minute, 
units at the Lanxess site in Eldorado can start to multiply their value by adding an additional revenue stream. Hence my question, what's not to love about direct lithium extraction? Well, yes, it leverages processes we know quite well in the water industry, such as adsorption, ion exchange, membrane, thermal or electrochemical processes. And yes, in a quite specific shape, it's been partially used in Argentina and China since the 90s. But as an end-to-end -end process where unconventional brines flow in and battery-grade lithium gets extracted on the other end, it's never been scaled up to commercial sizes. There have been impressive lab studies and pilot plants, and even a handful of demo plants, one of them being standard lithium's one in Eldorado, another one, Vulcan's one in Germany, we'll discuss in a future episode. Yes, that's a spoiler, but never ever a full-scale plant. So the ability of pioneers such as standard lithium to manage the rollout of commercial-scale DLE is something that's closely watched by an entire industry. How do you pick the right place to roll out? How do you build the right team? What are the decisive parameters to monitor? What's often overlooked? What makes a potential world's first full-scale direct lithium extraction project? I'll let Robert take it from here. Just after reminding you that if you like this episode, if you appreciate that value shared for free, please share it with a friend, a colleague, your boss or your team, and I'll meet you on the other side. This podcast is brought to you by GF Piping Systems. Hi, Robert. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I really appreciate your interest in Stanton Lithium and the opportunity to participate. Always love to talk about what we're doing. Thank you for hosting me in your beautiful and scenic Vancouver offices. It is beautiful today. You came on a lucky day. You can see the Grouse Mountain with the fresh snow there. It's a gorgeous day here. I've looked a bit your history with Standard Lithium and you joined the company in 2017, Correct. so roughly six years ago. The company changed its name shortly before that, transitioning from petroleum to lithium, if I'm right. That's what I found online. To me, it sounded like transitioning from black oil to white oil. So that's an interesting move. That Name change or change of business was prior to my joining mm -hmm. the company. It was a public company before, and that is how many of the Canadian resource companies evolved from one industry, energy, into mining. You'll see mining companies that have gone through a transition and become a blockchain or a, a marijuana company. So it's a process with public companies in the junior sector doing what they call RTOs, reverse okay. takeovers, where you do a transition. Prior to Standard Lithium, I was at a, another lithium company called Pure Energy Minerals, along with my business associate uh, who joined Standard Lithium in 2017. And we've developed the company since then, Andy Robinson. So Andy and I were at Pure Energy Minerals prior to Standard Lithium. And that's where we cut our teeth on direct lithium extraction. The lessons we learned there were instrumental on how we approached how we would build standard lithium. I will come back to DLE in a minute, okay. but what you mentioned about your previous role, you, yeah. you were not just there, you also were very successful there. I'll take the, the compliment. We were fortunate. We were in a very attractive space as well, the lithium sector. So you get a lot of attention it being in the right sector. So that's very helpful as well. And having projects that were at the right point in time as well. So I'll take the compliment, but also recognize the sector announcements coming from Tesla lifts all boats. That plays a lot into it as well. Building on that success, yeah. I'm a muggle, I'm a water guy. So I'm looking at financials. I understand half of them, take it with a pinch of salt. But over your six years as a leader of Standard Lithium, as the CEO here, you multiply the value of the company by six as well. So is it just a peaceful road or are there some hiccups on that road? There's lots of hiccups. Everything's a challenge when you're building something basically from scratch. 
We had a very clear business plan when we started, though, and that was to develop a series of projects where we have addressed and as best we can remove many of the risks that get in the way of actually successfully taking a project from conception into hopefully delivering a successful commercial enterprise. That was critical to the business strategy, and that was not to chase discoveries, so not to look to make them a new high-grade discovery on a new resource that hadn't been looked at before, which can be you know, great to be, if you're a geologist, to make the Hall of Fame for making the discovery, but those come with the challenges of no infrastructure and all of the other permitting things, items that can derail projects. So we mm-hmm. intentionally set a business plan in place where we could develop a lithium project where we were able to aspirationally look at a timeline to get into production within five years. We haven't achieved that. We didn't plan the global pandemic, but it was to find a project where we removed discovery risk, where we removed infrastructure risk, where we removed geopolitical risk, where we removed many of the permitting and social license aspects. And all credit to Andy, he chose South Arkansas as his target. It wasn't in the company's portfolio of projects when we took over Standard Lithium, but it was where Andy said that is the best place to build a lithium brine project and then utilizing what we learned at Pure Energy Minerals from the DLE or applying a selective or modern processing methodology to the project. Not coming with an ideology that we had to utilize that, but looking at all of those aspects and where we'd we'd be able to do that. A lot of The success over the last six years has been luck as well. Right timing in the sector, the right timing and project partners that we hadn't identified earlier on, but they almost fell into our lap. But nurturing those relationships and ensuring that we delivered on what we said we would, those aspects have been key to our success. We still have a lot of work to do, but having the business plan, choosing the right jurisdiction, assembling a team of agnostic technical experts across a diverse skill sets, and then having the good fortune of being in the right place at the right time. There's a lot to unpack (laughs) in in, in all of that. Let me try to check if I understand you right. That means you have to be agnostic and to be quite open to any kind of DLE. Yeah. And then the DLE aspect, it's a project that we chose. And the reason we stayed in North America was to remove the geopolitical challenges for brine resources specifically that you find in South America. There's lots of great projects there. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. And they're moving forward and there's success on them. But we wanted to avoid a lot of the headaches that you face on those. Lithium brine is what we were working on previously at Pure Energy and felt comfortable working towards finding projects where we could take what we learned with that. And the only way in any brine project in North America that you are looking to build successfully, you have to use an unconventional process. There's a small brine resource in Nevada, but you'll never get evaporation ponds permitted anywhere in the United States. And Canada, you can't evaporate here. (laughs) So utilizing a selective extraction process would be critical for that. But understanding that you have to have a process that's fully integrated for the resource that you're looking to develop, not developing a process and then trying to plug it in or force it to work on your project. So those were some of the things we learned when we were at Pure Energy, as we were working with external vendors or technology providers. There's a lot of academic work. There's a lot of startups, any uh, large companies working on how you can try new ways of lithium extraction from brine. 
but you can't take someone's prepackaged extraction process and then try to make it work on your project. You have to take the project parameters, the chemistry, all aspects of it and work backwards and then trial different processes. And a lot of Brian and projects will work great on tabletop, but can you actually scale them and make them work? at a commercial mm. scale. This scaling up to the commercial scale is absolutely the reason why I wanted to speak with you because I've been told by market experts that if someone can make it happen, this DLE at commercial scale, it's going to be standard lithium and it's going to be a okay. Lanxess project. Maybe others might do it in the future, hopefully for that sector, but you are expected to be the first company to manage that. So is that because of this approach of you've learned it somewhat the hard way and then you decided to move out the permitting out of the equation because you went on the sites where permits were given? What's the special trick? Yeah, that's where the luck came in or the, the, uh, the good fortune in that we have been able to deploy our time and most of the capital we've raised on advancing an integrated process, not having to throw tens of millions of dollars into developing the resource and having to get the permits and then do the drilling and all of the reservoir development work to define whether you actually have a viable lithium asset to develop. We were able to utilize the relationship that we developed with Lanxis and plug into their existing brine operations and put all of our attention on doing the hard work required to operate a process for sufficient time to learn what you need to understand for operating a process, optimizing it, equipment choices, running it for sufficient time to understand the reagent costs, reagent losses, your energy, and all of the consumables that go into the process, and then try test and other aspects of it so you can define the most effective process when you make that decision to scale to commercial. So we've had that benefit where we're actually working inside an operating facility that processes thousands of gallons of brine per minute and pumps it to the surface, runs it through the pipeline network, treats the brine, removes a mineral from it, and then runs it through another network for reinjection. That's overlooked on the DLE landscape when people talk about applying DLE on projects. That's a significant amount of capital requirements, expertise, over and above being able to figure out how to get the lithium up. So we benefited from Lanxis manages that, and we can focus on the core aspect of how do we get the lithium out consistently every day, produce a high purity lithium chloride solution that we can then convert to lithium carbonate, having them do all of the heavy lifting on the brine supply and disposal. So that has put us in a unique position anywhere globally, I think, as a developer. I wish the best to all of our, our peers working on DLE processes, but they have to do all that heavy lifting, put all that money in the ground and give investors confidence that they'll be able to manage all of that infrastructure and operational risk as they scale up, where with the relationship we've developed with Lanxis and for our first projects, it's a handoff. They provide the brine, we'll be taking the lithium, converting it to a battery quality lithium carbonate, but we'll be handing back the brine to them for disposal. So that's where we're at an advantage for it being the most likely to move into commercial development because of all of that infrastructure and risk that we've removed from the scale up and the operation of the first project. You mentioned Lanxis, just to clarify. Yeah. So that's your flagship project, which is quite a funny encounter in El Dorado. El Dorado. It's a unique Arkansas pronunciation. It rhymes with tornado is how you remember it. Okay. Yeah. They operate to bromine sites? Yes. So just for go back in history, the reason we yep. chose Arkansas, actually the Gulf Coast of the United States sits on one of the largest 
brine aquifers globally called the Smackover Formation. Mm -hmm. So it extends from central Texas all the way to the Florida Panhandle. It's about a thousand kilometers from east to west, and it's dozens and dozens of miles wide, hundreds of meters thick. It's a deep aquifer, seven to 8,000 feet deep in South Arkansas. It was discovered in the 1920s when they discovered oil in South Arkansas. They would drill a deep well, they would get a lot of produced water. And it was a nuisance for the energy industry, for the oil and gas industry. And in the late 1950s, Murphy Oil and the Arkansas Geological Society were able to figure out that it was rich with bromine. So they worked together to combine their skills and develop a bromine industry in South Arkansas. So mm -hmm. based on the oil and gas industry, the bromine industry in South Arkansas was developed. And then as bromine became the flame retardant globally used across all industries, became an important industry. Albemarle, world's largest lithium producer, has large operations in South Arkansas. They were formerly known as Ethelcorp. Lanxus now uh, and Albemarle operate very large brine processing facilities for bromine production. Lanxus bought that asset in South Arkansas in 2017 with the purchase of Chemtura to get into the bromine business. But yeah, Arkansas produces north of 5 billion gallons of brine annually across Albemarle and Lanxus for bromine production. And then that same brine is re-injected into the aquifer. The USGS and others have published a lot of technical data saying it is the highest reported lithium concentration in brine in North America, been known for decades. Dow Chemicals developed the first broadly used direct lithium extraction process in the late 1970s and utilizing brine from the Smackover formation. So that process that was patented in the late 70s by Dow, version of that is used by Livent in Argentina. Okay. And then Albemarle ran a pilot plant in 2011 at their bromine facilities for lithium extraction. Andy had all of this information and was one of the primary reasons we chose Arkansas because that discovery was removed and that brine industry existed where you can pump and re-inject because that's critical when you're looking at applying a direct extraction process. Doesn't matter how great the resource is, if you don't have the ability to re-inject it. And that is critical and it gets overlooked on the DLE side that not every salar has the conditions so that you can pump and re-inject with either the re-injection not depleting your resource or impacting your fresh water or spending a lot of time holding hands and explaining to the communities and the permitting regulatory groups on how you're going to do that. And that can be years and years time to get there. So Arkansas, you come with that advantage. So there was this existing industry and nobody was really extracting that lithium. So do you proactively go to Lanxus and say, we have an idea? Is yeah. it a happy... Well, the world didn't need the lithium for a long time, right? The great resources in Chile and Australia had been able to supply global demand and novel processes may have worked, but the low-hanging fruit in the Atacama and in Australia had easily supplied everything we needed. But and that's where that timing came in. For us, we didn't have a business plan where we would say we were going to go and approach Lanxus to do a development deal with them. When we took over the company in 2017, we had a very small project in California, in Bristol Lake. That was an interesting project. It came with standard lithium and I took that over. It's a, an existing mining operation for calcium chloride. They use brine from the Mojave, pump it to the surface and use solar evaporation. We came down to California to look at how we could develop a lithium industry off of an existing permitted asset in California. And we were lucky again in that one of the operators in California was a company called Tetra Technologies. So we approached them and we entered into an agreement where we were going to be able to leverage their 
California permits to investigate whether we could build a lithium business off of their calcium chloride brine. As we were developing the relationship with Tetra, we recognized that they had a large brine asset in Arkansas that they hadn't developed. So again, this is all good luck and fortune that shined on us. It wasn't part of our business plan. So as we advanced the development and relationship with Tetra, we were able to leverage that relationship and get an agreement in place so that we could get access to their brine leases in Arkansas. Our California asset allowed us to develop a relationship with Tetra. We secured a large brine asset in Arkansas. And the reason Tetra had never developed those leases that they were holding in Arkansas that they had for several decades was that they had a brine tolling arrangement with Chemtura, the company that Lanxis bought, where they were mm -hmm. getting brine after bromine extraction, and they had a small plant where they could produce calcium chloride. So through Tetra, we recognized that Camtura at the time was allowing commercial contracts to get brine after bromine extraction prior to reinjection for their mineral recovery. So that light bulb went off. That was an opportunity that we had now a relationship with Tetra, a large lease package in Arkansas, and we approached Camtura with a business plan, which was to do similar to what Tetra was doing. So taking their tail brine post-bromine extraction and looking at recovering the lithium from that. While we were in dialogue with Chemtura at the time, Lanxis acquired them. Everything was good fortune. Lithium space was in a very strong position in 2017 when we were doing this. And Lanxis was buying a bromine asset. They weren't buying a lithium business. So mm -hmm. we surprised them with the, you've got lithium in your brine. And they recognized members of our technical team that Andy had assembled from experts that they use globally across some of their water businesses. So I'm speaking from my, my own perspective, not on their behalf, but they recognized that we had a strong technical team and mm -hmm. that we didn't come to them saying we have an idea. It was, would like to try different ways to get the lithium out, take brine, bring it back to our research facilities in Canada and start to unlock this resource. And they were open and receptive to that idea. So at that stage, you, you have that brine where you know there's a yeah. good portion of lithium in it. You know that you have to go for DLE, but you also know that all the parameters are set so that DLE is possible because you can reinject the brines. But nevertheless, you still have a broad range of possible DLEs Correct. to pick from. So yeah. you have to select the right one. So how do you start that process and what got you to choose the process you use? Yeah, that's where Andy and our agnostic technical team come in and they are across a variety of industries. Several of the team members worked with us previously at Pure Energy mm -hmm. and have decades of experience in ion exchange and mineral hydrometallurgy and other processes. Craig Brown, Ron Molnar, among others, are based in Southern Ontario. And we were able to, with the relationship we developed with Lanxis, take thousands of liters of brine from their production facilities and send them to our team in Ontario. And they got to work trialing number of off-the-shelf processes, not commercial, but offered processes from startups and from existing technology providers and trialing other ones that we were able to access different materials to do that process work. And then we went through those tests and then we developed our own process based on the brine chemistry, temperature of the brine, and then also the other permitting requirements for what reagents you can operate with within the chemistry and the reinjection parameters in Arkansas. So that's how we've developed our own process and then have integrated other elements into the process so that DLE is the heart of the process, the selective extraction. But what's overlooked by analysts and commentators is it has to be a completely integrated process. 
-hmm. So the selective extraction, there's a number of different ways to get lithium out of brine. You need to find a way that do it with the highest efficiencies and in the conditions of the chemistry that you're working with, but you're doing it 24 hours a day. Every minute of every hour of the day at commercial scale, thousands of gallons per minute need to come into your facility and it needs to operate in a way that at two o'clock in the morning, an operator is going to make sure that the plant is running and it's, if there is an issue that it's addressable. So the pre-treatment stage is critically important. The selective extraction stage, the stripping stage, every aspect, removing novelty from that as best you can and using industrial processes that you have confidence in, that's critical on the DLE side. It's one aspect to get the high recovery of selective extraction, but can you do it Christmas Eve at two o'clock in the mm. morning when you've got a half a dozen employees working the your plant is different than just doing it, you know, for a batch process. So having that integrated process and then developing it and scaling it up at each stage where you learn from those aspects. That's the critical part. So start to finish. The DLE aspect is critical, the heart of it, but the entire process, every element has to talk to each other. Operators need to know how to run the plant, your equipment choices, a pump, sensors, all of the other elements. That requires a lot more than that initial scale up and testing work we did for our process. It's how we integrated that into a larger brine operation is the, the critical step. So that's the learnings that you have to make. How would you define your work as standard lithium into that? Are you an integrator of these technologies? Are you one part of the technology which enhances with these other technologies? Yeah, that's a great question. The project drives the process mm -hmm. again. So we're a project developer and hopefully a commercial operator soon, but developing the project holistically. So not sole technology developer, certain core aspects that need to be tailored or bespoke for the project that if we're able to own that IP ourselves are going to be beneficial, but you also need to balance it against what the scale up risk and proving a process that can be commercialized. So we benefit from working in Arkansas where they've been running brine for 60 years now. We benefit from having, you know, with Lanxus and their predecessor companies, that confidence in certain elements of the flow sheet and then other aspects specific to lithium. The lithium sector is moving quite rapidly now. There are certain process components that you can integrate from existing brine operations. The post extraction stages where you need to purify your lithium chloride into consistently high purity final product, integrating those into your process as you scale it up so that you have made the necessary test works so that you're producing a final material that'll go through those final stages. Mm -hmm. So long way of answering your question is developing processes that are required, but integrating as many standard or processes so that you will have a successful start to finish recovery process, as opposed to the job of just developing the, the process. It's more choosing the right equipment and having industrial expertise across that. So we have team members who come from the water treatment industry, which is very helpful because it's brine that we're working with, but that provides expertise in the pre-treatment and the controls that are chosen. Processes that we use also overlap with some of our team members come from the pulp and paper industry, mm -hmm. which you might not think is a good fit, but liquid solid separation. They know decanters and they know different ways of managing liquid solid separation. And then just bringing in strong partners, startup companies, and we're doing the best we can to avoid this, is to check your ego and hubris that we can do everything. Why not bring in strong partners who've built things before and have experience across a variety of industries who can integrate their expertise, their 
scalability into your process. So know what you know, know when to bring in the help required to make the project successful. Talking of these partnerships on that specific Langsys project or Smackover, I don't know, yeah. what's your internal name for it? All of the projects we're focused on are from projects utilizing brine from the Smackover formation. The two projects we have now, the Langsys project and the Southwest Arkansas project, the resource chemistry is by and large the same. So the broader development will be across the Smackover, but the projects are separated. Specifically, the Langsys projects are their brine that we will utilize from the leases that they have under their control. The Southwest Arkansas project is a standalone project, and we're also doing a significant resource expansion program to bring on more resources across the Smackover as well. So I keep calling it Langsys. Yeah. So on, on that Langsys project, you, you've been partnering with external companies, some of them being also close partners to you, like, like Koch. I'm right. Yeah. Koch does the pre-treatment for you. Then you focus on the DLE. Well, we've been responsible for all the costs associated in developing the project to date. But Lang says we paid them to actually work with them. So we didn't do what a lot of companies do, which is to come up with an idea and try and get funding from a larger partner. We paid them to allow us to get access to their facilities be able to publish resource reports and to work pretty much exclusively on lithium with them. That initial investment or payment we made to them has allowed us to move much quicker, leverage their infrastructure and do all of the steps, as you said, to make us the company most likely to succeed on DLE. The relationship with Coke started with us beginning outreach for a strategic investor that also brought more than just an investment, brought broad industry expertise mm -hmm. across a number of businesses. And we spent a good 17 months looking to find that right investor and strategic partner. We spent better part of nine months working with Coke to define their expectations and ours, which made them a very large shareholder of Standard Lithium. They made a $100 million investment in December 2021. And with that investment and the time we spent with both companies getting to know each other, we recognized that they had an extremely successful and very good fit on the brine processing or water treatment business, Coke engineered solutions and Coke separation solutions. They run a global water processing business. They were visiting our facilities. They recognized certain choices we made on equipment and asked us why we chose certain vendors where they had different offerings that may work as well. So as you highlighted the pre-treatment stage, if we were at our plant in Arkansas today, you would see that brine pre-treatment goes through a Coke membrane process. Mm -hmm. We had trialed numerous other membrane or pre-treatment stages, and many of them were successful, but came with significant operating costs or maintenance challenges. Coke pre-treatment process just happens to work better. Coke has been awarded through a competitive bidding process. It wasn't uh, just granted to them. The feed study for our first commercial project mm -hmm. and the definitive feasibility study underway. So Coke OPD, Optimized Process Design, is an EPC contractor based in Katy, Texas. So that's just another benefit of having not just a good investor, but a strategic but, partner. But it also it's a, and a complementary one to Lanxus. So they weren't a competitor in the chemical business or in the water treatment business. So a complementary strategic partner. So when a company like Standard Lithium, which we're closing in on a hundred full-time equivalent consultants, employees, but it would still, it's quite a reach to go from that into developing the first commercial project. So bringing OPD in as the feasibility and feed design, and then with the 
mechanisms we put in place on that contract, the ability to convert that to an EPC contract, where they will be responsible for delivering an entire wrap on a process, start to finish. Rob Ryan coming in, integrating all of the elements of the DLE process, along with the pre-treatment, the polishing, the concentration stage, and the conversion to lithium carbonate underneath a wrap with certain performance guarantees and other aspects that reduces and manages a lot of the risk that would be taken on by the company like ours as an owner of a process. OPD, that's a full EPC contracting facility in Katy, Texas, fabricator. Perfect location for us. It's in the Gulf Coast, less than a day's drive from the project. No one's built a TLE process like this before, but they have expertise from their other industries as well. So they are a great partner. And then their business model is not just building one of something for a client. It's replicating those and building multiple facilities or multiple projects. So our goal, if we're successful with the first project, our goal is to build multiple extraction facilities across the smackover formation because the chemistry and the hydrogeological conditions is similar and we can build them either aggressively or conservatively based on success, of course, as the industry requires it. The industry needs a lot of projects to be successful, but we don't need to try to convince investors that we can take a project from scratch to 25,000 or 40,000 tons based on a very small pilot plant. Our scale up is reasonable, we think, and very responsible, but it isn't large. It'll be more than the current U.S. production of lithium, but it removes that scale up risk as we develop the further projects where that brine and subsurface management will be required. So that as we step out into the second project and the third or fourth projects outside of the Lanxus facilities, we'll begin to take that role on, but we'll have moved many of the aspects of the scale up on the integrated extraction process. I'd like to discuss that, that future in your next steps. I have a last question in your DLE process before. When he was on that microphone, Ben Sparrow explains the difference between DLE Generation 1 and DLE Generation 2. Generation 1 DLE, which has been around for over 20 years, it's an alumina-based absorbent. The alumina-based absorbent, the lithium-containing water flows by it. So it's either a powder or a resin-like material. Flows by it, and that absorbent grabs the lithium. Okay, so that's fine and dandy, but now you need to release the lithium. The way you do that is you stop flowing the brine past the absorbent. You now flow water past the absorbent. Mm -hmm. It's a water elution, so alumina-based water elution. And it works, and you can very mildly concentrate the lithium, but more importantly, you reject a whole pile of total dissolved solid and salinity. You're essentially improving the lithium to TDS ratio. Generation 2 is a different fundamental technology. That's where you have a titanate or manganese oxide-based absorbent. You again flow the lithium brine past it, and it grabs the lithium. And it does a better job at grabbing the lithium, but there's a catch. In order to elute the lithium from the absorbent, you need to wash it with acid. Mm -hmm. Thermodynamics again, kinetics. Generation two DLE plants are quote unquote hooked on drugs for many, many years, right? So they have to keep pumping acid into the system. When you pump acid into a system, you lower pH. That means you then have to add base to elevate pH again. Generation two has a very significant advantage in that it can concentrate lithium. It can achieve a higher lithium to TDS ratio. It's a capital cost smaller plant but the operating costs are higher because you're constantly having to elute with acid and then adjust with base. What's the route you've chosen at Lanxis? Our process is a pH-mediated process. We raise the pH to selectively absorb the lithium. We bring it up to a pH-neutral condition and lithium is released in acidic conditions. Mm -hmm. So we drop the pH. I wouldn't say one process is better than the other. The project drives the process. There are a number of projects where reagents may be too costly. We just have any work in the Gulf Coast. It's chloralkali capital of North America. 
Mm-hmm. So you choose your process and your project based on not just what you think is going to have the highest recovery in a laboratory or in a test tube. You need to be able to reagent costs and security of supply, the permitting aspects as well. So no process is universal. There's no silver bullet. There's a number of processes that you may integrate successfully one or another on the same project, but you have to do that work. And I wouldn't call them generation one or generation two. It's an evolution, but also applying them again at the right project. Today, the, the demo plant is producing yeah. lithium carbonate. Uh, lithium chloride. Lithium chloride. Yes. So the extraction process produces lithium chloride. Mm-hmm. And then we do have a carbonate conversion pilot plant on site as well. Mm-hmm. And we've got also a novel lithium hydroxide pilot plant running as well. But those are early in their development stage those two processes. We will be using a vendor, an OEM supplied chloride decarbonation plant for our first commercial operation. But the selective extraction produces lithium chloride. And your output is going to be lithium carbonate ultimately. For the, with Lanxis. Yeah. Lanxis, the arrangements we put in place with them allows them option to acquire all of the carbonate that's produced on their sites and that everything produced from brine extracted from the Lanxis leases will be for the production of the lithium carbonate. At a fixed cost or what's the... We're working through the commercial arrangements with them now. So Lanxis has two options. Upon completion of the feasibility study, they can come in as a project partner and Mm -hmm. acquire up to 49% of the project company. That gives them the right for the lithium carbonate at a market-based price, less a sales or handling cost. If they choose not to come in as an equity partner, they still have an option for the lithium carbonate output because we're utilizing their brine and their infrastructure. And then it is at market-based pricing, less a discount not to exceed 20%. So they get a win-win either way. We're de-risking the project for them. They come in as an equity partner. It's done on a ratable basis with us recovering some of our development costs. And then there's revenue sharing on the project. If they choose just the offtake, they have a project that's de-risked and they get an advantage pricing on the lithium carbonate. Still very attractive for both parties though. And your, your other Arkansas project is expected to produce lithium hydroxide. hydroxide. Yes. Another reason we chose carbon for the first project is lithium brine projects producing lithium chloride produce lithium carbonate commercially now. So it's far less of a technology risk to add the chloride to hydroxide conversion. That is, that's what's done in South America and yeah, they're doing chloride to carbonate and then they convert carbonate to hydroxide using a, I believe, a wet liming process. So mm-hmm. it adds additional costs. On our Southwest Arkansas project, we're looking at a number of ways to produce hydroxide using uh, electrolysis or a, an electrochemical cell. We're tri- trialing a novel ion exchange process. And then there's always the chloride carbonate and then the classic wet liming process as well. Hydroxide is where we feel we have the most value and the interest that we're receiving from tier one battery companies, automotive OEMs for a domestically sourced lithium hydroxide in the United States is incredibly high. It is almost aggressive, the interest that we're getting from groups looking to get secure supply at this stage. It is where I spend most of my time bringing people to the site and talking about our development timeline and our offtake strategies and the interest in getting their foot in the door to secure that is completely different than the lithium environment from two or three years ago. We are in downtown Vancouver. You have neighbors here, which a couple of weeks ago got some major investment from a major car manufacturer. So is it something similar, which we are discussing here? We're going to be very careful on the partners we choose. I understand. There's significant interest 
And what's most important to us and the reason we're working with Lanxis, the reason we are working with Coke is that we have a long-term vision, mm -hmm. a business plan to build in stages facilities across the region. So starting with Lanxis phase 1A and then subsequent projects in parallel or sequentially as we build out the resource on the Smackover formation. It is the only tier one brine resource in North America. There's geothermal projects and there's other oil field projects, but none of them can point to the brine lithium concentrations that you have in the Smackover formation. We're starting at 230 on the Lanxis, we're going up to 460 on the Southwest Arkansas project. And you can just look at the data from the USGS and others that have reported higher than 500 parts per million in the smackover. Every other brine in North America is sub 200. Some of them are sub 100. So there's no reason to look anywhere else. Having a partner that aligns with us on our strategy of developing these resources, a partner that will be using the materials in North America. Mm -hmm. That's our primary objective. So we align with a lot of the administration's policies, but then also allows us the flexibility with the right partner because the lithium chemistries, they may change. So the advantage we have where we're working as well, producing a lithium chloride solution, you can take that in multiple different chemistries. You could go to a solid state battery, mm -hmm. the lithium chloride solution. You could go carbon or hydroxide. And then you also have the ability where you don't have to necessarily locate your conversion facilities on site. We can look at a centralized or co-locating with the right partner. So those are many of the questions, but what we've identified for bringing in the right partner. You've referred several times to your business plan and to how all of that aligns with a long-term vision. So yeah. what's that long-term vision? Where do you head with Standard Lithium? Our objectives is to, to get the first project built. That is the critical one. You don't want to run before you even walk. Um, don't put the cart before the horse. Prove that you can build the first one. But now with the industry's attention that we're getting, the administration's policies coming out of Washington, focusing on developing domestic resources, there's an opportunity for us to now be more aggressive as we're developing these. So the long-term vision, we have the two projects under our control now, the Lanxis and the Southwest Arkansas, those are combined, if we're successful, 50,000 tons of carbonate and hydroxide production. The region can support a multiple of that. It is the best location in North America to build a lithium chemicals business. It's an area where you have a massive lithium resource, tier one lithium brine resource. You have the inputs required to run a lithium brine business or a lithium chemical business secure, low-cost power. Water is critical on every project. If you chose a project in an area that's under extreme drought and water stress conditions, you may have chosen the wrong project to look at, regardless of the lithium concentrations or how favorable the mining jurisdiction is, because water is critical. So we're in an area that's not under water stress. You have to be a good steward with water, but this area isn't under water stress. We're in an area with a social license. Very few lithium projects in the United States can point to having support from their local communities. It's not a blanket statement. You have to earn it. You have to continue that. But this area is familiar, culturally comfortable. I hope I'm not overreaching on that statement with industries in the chemical and the energy space because they've been doing it for a hundred years. And you're geographically in the center of the country and with access to your markets, either domestically within a day's drive or export through the Gulf of Mexico. So it's the absolute best place to build a lithium chemicals business with the resource and all of those other aspects. There's an opportunity. It may not be a standard lithium capturing all of it to produce well north of 100,000 tons of lithium chemicals in this region, building it using responsible extraction processes and developing it as the industry requires it. Critical for it is to demonstrate you can get the lithium out commercially. That's our first project, but it's not a cookie cutter. 
but it is a replicable process that you can develop. Every project's going to face a lot of challenges. We'll face less of them because of the area we're working. You mentioned how you have to do it responsibly. That is something which transpires through all your website communication and also what technically you are putting in place so that you just started a pilot for carbon capture, yeah. so, which I guess goes into the same direction. How important is ESG to your operation? It's incredibly important. The end users, when we look at the big picture, the materials we're producing are going into lithium batteries. And the primary driver for battery demand is EVs and stationary storage. And the consumers the end users and the entire rationale as we're going into this new energy economy is to lower your environmental impact. Mm. Everything comes with an impact. If you can lower your environmental impact, that's critical. So building a project, choosing the project location, you have to be critically aware of what your impact is going to be. By the nature of the technology, our impact will be smaller, but we still have to be very careful on the reagents we're using, on all of the conditions that we're operating in. And it's a chemical industry as well. So health and safety, all aspects of that are critically important. But the outside looking in, if you have a supply chain that's causing child labor issues coming from Africa and cobalt, if you're working on projects that are producing large tailings, having impact on First Nations, having long-term end-of-mind-life challenges on how you'll develop them or infrastructure that you'll be needing to bring in across fragile ecosystems. It's a hard argument to win on why you should build those to supply the final product going into a clean energy or an EV. People will say, you know, you're greenwashing. Just you're saying you're, put, you're getting rid of internal combustion engines and you just have to give us a pass here because we're going to build this mine and it's going into a car and that's the greater good. We're going to destroy some fragile ecosystem or an endangered species or a plant that only exists in one part of the world, but you have to you know, look at the bigger picture. I would have trouble sleeping on that. <laughs> there is an, an imbalance between supply and demand in lithium, and that imbalance is here to stay. I think by jewelry's projections, by the end of the decade, <laughs> you still have that imbalance. And I'm wondering, because I hear all your arguments and I would subscribe to them with my two hands, makes a lot of sense. You don't want to just go out from one trouble to move into the next trouble. But if car companies are desperate for lithium, will they really be looking at ESG? I can only speak from my experience in the dialogues I've had with both car companies and tier one battery companies is that is a question they ask. What's your water impact? What's your carbon intensity? Okay. What's your social license? Whether that at the end of the day stops them from writing a check, I can't say. They're all in the process now of trying to finally catch up from what the industry has been telling them for years. Joe has been extremely loud telling them five years ago, three years ago, that they need to invest upstream and they're now late to the party. So that may impact them, but definitely you need to be able to accurately define what your impact's going to be. The other challenge is it doesn't matter just with the car companies or the battery companies, you still got to get permitted. You still have to be able to get through this, those stages mm -hmm. in funding. A lot of the, the bankable feasibility studies and the, the debt finance, once you get through that and your debt finance providers, they require significant amount of guidance and guarantees on, I don't know if ESG is the right term for it, but just on your impact and the sustainability specifically on the project. There's certain protocols that you have to meet to get specific types of funding. It is going to be the limiting factor for the adoption of EVs is the critical mineral supply chain. So that 
aspect, whether it forces projects that should either have taken longer to build or taken an approach to try and find the cheapest way to build them as opposed to a more sustainable or less impactful way. We'll see. We're building our projects in stages and that you mentioned the carbon capture. We were careful in how we've defined our impact because until you've done the work to know what your energy costs, your energy demand, your mass energy balance that you, you need to build, and then also your water requirements, all of those are understood. You shouldn't talk about how you're carbon negative or carbon neutral because that's only aspirational. So with the carbon capture, we were comfortable last year where we understood where we would have carbon intensity. Mm-hmm. Evaporator crystallizers use natural gas. So we will have a few flue streams. We were fortunate that we had with our technical team, a very strong ability to begin looking at novel carbon capture processes and ones that would tailor with our flow sheet. Aqualung, a Norwegian technology that we've invested in now, was a nice fit. We're doing the R&D work now, the testing work to get the data to see if it will be applicable at the commercial scale. Mm -hmm. And we're working to see whether we can utilize some of the CO2 that we capture within our own flow sheet to replace reagents that we use and any CO2 that is required. The bigger opportunity, and this is arm waving, is that we're moving massive volumes of brine to the surface and then re-injecting it. There's an opportunity with carbon capture to sequester CO2 that we capture from our processes and then the broader emitters in the region, because it is a large CO2 emitting region from the fertilizer industry, the chemical industry, natural gas in the Gulf region, to utilize the technology across other Emitters capture that CO2 and dissolve it into the brine when it's re-injected. A lot of work needs to be done, working with the regulatory groups and the other stakeholders in the area, but there's an opportunity with the brine industry that exists in the smackover to make it a massive CO2 sink as well. It's not critical for the lithium business, but we need to identify and manage our own CO2 but there's an opportunity to, to build an even bigger CO2 management. If I understand you right on that one, that means that you have no necessity to do that. It's about walking the talk and being consistent with your approach and saying you want to have an overall good approach to, to things. And it might lead into a bigger opportunity because if already you're trapping CO2 and you have that opportunity to sequester it with your reinjection, then you could be doing good on a bigger scale and doing good at, at a certain point in time of profit because the carbon price is going up as well. A lot of work needs to be done. I'll just be very clear. We, we, we need to get all of that work done, but it is based on the work that we've identified today. We know where our CO2 footprint will be, and we're going to do everything we can to reduce or eliminate that. We just, there's an additional benefit if we're successful at that. When you pump the brine back into the aquifer, it needs to be acidified. So you can do that with carbonic acid. Yep. And it replaces a reagent we use. It's a carbonate matrix aquifer. I'm, I'm not a geochemist, so I hopefully I'm not going off topic or, or saying something incorrectly here. But there's an opportunity there that can be built upon successful, sustainable lithium extraction where you can add that additional benefit. And there may be an opportunity to build a large business off it as well. I have a, let's say, surprise question for you okay. because I didn't <laughs> warn you. At the start of that full investigation into lithium, Actually, just in my backyard where I grew up, there is a full network of former potash mines which closed down at the turn of the 21st century. And when they closed down, they turned that network of potash mines into a landfill, special landfill for special things, which ended up burning. And so they had to close the mine. And so now for 20 years, there is a debate about what to do with 
that place. That raises a lot of environmental questions, which are off topic. So I'll leave them off topic for today. But they've been looking at the water and they were looking at the water to look if there's contamination from this waste. I got hold of this water analytics. And what struck me is that there's a high lithium content. There's a lot of other stuff, but there's a pretty high lithium content similarish to what you see yeah. in Arkansas. So it's between, I have one of the samples at 300 ppm and the other sample, it's at 420 ppm. There's a lot of TDS as well. It's not a perfect brine, but there's a good lithium to, to TDS ratio. So that's one part of the story. The region where that happens is maybe 50 kilometers away from Basel, which is one of the European capitals for chemistry. So you would have the supply of chemistry available. You are in the middle of the biggest aquifer of Europe. So water is available as much as you want, and electricity, you're in the middle of Europe, so you have a good grid. What I'm trying to paint here is that <laughs> it sounds, I have no ambitions to opening a lithium business, that's not the aim, but I wanted just, you know, as a, as a thought exercise to see what's the limits to all of that. Is it something which you would be potentially looking into, or do you say, no, that's a different play. We are specialized in what we do in Arkansas, maybe in California, maybe in North America, but it would be too much of a stretch to pick maybe even promising project, but so far from our home. We get approached almost weekly with opportunities for oil field brine or processed water with lithium concentration, not as high as what you had just said. And we don't take them on. Most of them are in North America, a lot of them in the Gulf region, not from the smackover because we don't have the bandwidth. We have to complete the tasks at hand. We've told our partners, our investors, that we're going to build this first project. And there is no ability to take on new R&D processes right now. Looking at our business plan, we're focused on the resources that we understand. I would back of the envelope, get the data from you on that and define the resource just using pretty simple calculations if they were available. What you need to understand on the project, having all of those elements, the water, that existing site looking for remediation may make it attractive to have a development there. You need to understand the brine production, how much you can actually pump. So is it a lake? It's an underground aquifer. So yeah. you are 300 meters down. Yeah. So you would need to do the, we call in Canada, 43-101 resource evaluation, which would be poking holes in the ground and doing some pump tests on that just to, to find what the production would be and whether if it's a process that was a DLE or a selective extraction, the reinjection aspects of that. Mm -hmm. But that if I wasn't focused on what we're building and I was looking for a project with a standalone company, I would definitely take a look at that for sure. I think I, I'm reaching <laughs> the same conclusion all the time. Yeah. I have to change my job and yeah. <laughs> no, I, yeah. I won't. Yeah. But <laughs> that means that for now, what's really on your agenda is for 2024 to have the commercial plant. When is, when do you expect uh, With the to... targets, I should say, feasibility study for phase 1A, which is the first Lanxus project, which is going to be located adjacent to our existing demonstration plant. The feasibility study is targeted to be completed the first half of this year. Mm -hmm. And then we'll go through a process with Lanxus to have them determine their option on the um, project participation on the equity side. We're hoping to have all of that completed Q3 and be in a limited notice to proceed and final investment decision before the end of the year, which would put us on a construction path through 2024 and 2025. So we're giving ourselves sufficient padding on the development timeline, subject to everything coming through positively on the feasibility studies, just with the global supply chain challenges right now. Mm -hmm. So it's about a two-year build on that. The Southwest Arkansas project is a preliminary feasibility study underway. We're going to roll that 
into a definitive feasibility study. So no gap in time on those. Hopefully that DFS begins in Q3 of this year, and then it'll be completed probably by mid 2024. If that's a positive outcome on that definitive feasibility study, begin final investment decision before the end of 2024, early 2025. So building them both in parallel. And then we've got a significant expansion program underway in the Smackover formation. So acquiring leases, getting samples, doing the necessary resource development work under the uh, 43101 guidelines and doing all that in parallel as well. Mm-hmm. So that is going to go through 2023, 2024, and 2025 so that we'll have subsequent additional projects to bring online as well. That if we're successful, this is forward-looking statement for anybody listening, we're, our target is to have them as orders of similar magnitude to what we've got in Arkansas. So a lot of work, it's basically all primarily focused in the region, working with our project partners and bringing in where we can additional expertise to de-risk the subsequent projects. I could push you into further <laughs> forward-looking statement, but I, I won't do that. So I have to thank you for the very open deep dive and the very open conversation. Oh, you're welcome. I have a couple of rapid fire questions to round okay. that off, if that's sure. fine with yeah. you. It's time for the rapid fire questions. I start with one which I had intended to ask you in the beginning, but we jumped into the conversation. And actually, I just spotted that one of your scientific advisors happens to be a twice Nobel <laughs> Prize laureate. How cool is that? Yeah, no, it's incredibly cool. We're very we're blessed with our scientific advisory team. Um, as I mentioned, we've got them across a number of industries. One specifically, Professor Jason Hine who's been working with us on our novel carbonation process. He's based in Vancouver. He comes from the pharmaceutical industry. We were introduced to Jason in 2017. He helped us uh, develop the SIFT selective ion filtration technology, which we believe will be a next generation carbonation process. His mentor was Barry Sharpless, Professor Barry Sharpless. So Barry had won Nobel Prize at that time. Uh, and we were fortunate because of Jason's relationship that Barry was more than eager to join us and as as available as required to help with novel chemistry process problems. I've had the benefit of meeting him at Jason's wedding. I was at a loss of words of anything to say to him because he is next level. Um, He is incredibly generous with his time. And then he's additionally, yeah, the, the second Nobel Prize, there's only five people that have ever won two Nobel Prizes, and he's the only living person with two Nobel Prizes as well. Yeah, no, he's we're extremely fortunate just with the relationship with uh, Professor Hine and then uh, Barry's relationship with him. We let Jason, Professor Hine, do the communications with uh, Barry because, yeah, he works on a next level. But Professor Hine um, is also probably one of the most brilliant scientists on the planet. If you ask Professor Sharpless, who he thinks is one of the smartest people on the planet, he'll name Jason as someone that he thinks is is a standout across the chemical engineering industry. I'll take you to more conventional okay. rapid-fire yeah. questions. So <laughs> my next one would be, what is the most exciting project you've been working on and why? Outside of standard lithium, I'm teaching myself how to play the theremin. Wow, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, well, it's very difficult. My wife made, made me take it to the office and she wouldn't let me practice at <laughs> home because I was driving the dog crazy. <laughs> <laughs> that's a cool one. Can you name one thing that you've learned the hard way? Oh, just one? 
Oh, <laughs> everything I've learned has been the hard way. I've had to learn the lithium industry as you and I were having a brief conversation earlier that my education background doesn't come from the chemical industry side or even the, the geology side. It was uh, been acro across a number of industries. Is there something you are doing today in your job that you won't be doing in 10 years? Traveling. It was on the road uh, 150 nights last year. Been on the road for, I think, uh, 40 nights this year so far, almost every, you know, four or five nights a week I've been on the road this year. So hopefully traveling less. What is the trend to watch out for in your sector? The attention that's being paid to the U.S. domestic supply and how that is going to play out with the Inflation Reduction Act and how important building domestic projects will be and the administration's policies. I don't think it's been fully grasped by analysts, investors. It's an incredible opportunity right now to build projects that uh, will feed into the onshoring ideologies or principles that are underway right now. Every project's got challenges. The global mining industry needs to reinvent itself, but the U.S. projects specifically, and as a Canadian talking about the U.S. projects, but the policies that are coming online from the U.S. and they're forcing the Europeans and other countries to adopt them will reset the way that the global resources have been primarily focused or driven by China. This onshoring principles that uh, the administration in Washington is pushing, it's forcing the Canadians to do similar, and the Europeans are looking at it and saying we need to also adapt. I think that is probably the most exciting trend. I have a last one. Would you have someone which you would recommend me to have on that microphone as soon as possible? Yeah, my associate, Andy Robinson, Dr. Andy Robinson, he's probably, if not the top, in the top two on the direct lithium extraction globally. He's done the work over the last eight years between pure energy and standard lithium. He's easily the most level-headed, non-emotional when he's talking about certain aspects, um, very pragmatic. I would, I would definitely recommend getting uh, Andy on, not just a plug for standard lithium, but uh, he knows the direct lithium extraction and, and generally the resource development space is good or better than anyone. Well, I'd be very happy to, to have him. Yeah. Thanks so much oh, for all the time you, you spent with me. I could have pushed you with 10 more <laughs> questions, but I already went over time. So I'm sorry for that. That's okay. <laughs> but it was really a pleasure to have you. And thanks a lot for, for your show. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Don't Waste Water. This podcast was brought to you by GF Piping Systems. Loved this episode? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. See you next time.